Hello and welcome to episode 63 of Christians in Our Soup, a weekly podcast by two of God's peculiar people about God's peculiar people for God's peculiar people. Proving that life isn't as black and white as some would have believed, but that sometimes life gets real and doesn't fit into any boxes no matter how hard we try. So welcome, and welcome, Russ. It's the two of us again. It is indeed. It is indeed. Oh, yeah. So, listeners, if you haven't been uh, with us for the last few weeks, this is a podcast that was Christians in My Soup, which Russ founded, and then the Lord called him to expand on that, and now it is a double act. So, sit back and enjoy as we discuss what we're going to discuss today. And I will leave you in anticipation for a few minutes as to where we go with today's All clever. Hook podcast. Hook oh, in. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> for those of you that have been listening, you will notice it's a different voice starting off this week. Yes, it's me, Bramwell. And Russ decided this week that uh, he would contact me and say, how would you like to open the show? So we're going to give it a go. All feedback is welcome. Uh, but please be nice. So, Russ, how has your week been this week? Well, brother, it's good to have you here. It's been an interesting week. It's been a good week. Um, again, for those who don't know, listeners who don't know, um, I've recently moved to uh, Somerset and I'm getting involved in supporting the work of New Sound Christian Radio. And this week we've uh, managed to complete our scheduling, basically. So uh, when Anne and I first arrived, the scheduling for the show was looking like about a dozen shows across all seven days. And I've sat down uh, with uh, one of the other guys from the station and we've worked through a schedule for each day. And during the course of this week, we've now got that schedule complete. So Monday through Sunday, we have a full daytime schedule running from seven in the morning uh, through to around about seven, eight o'clock in the evening with various different playlists that are incorporated into that. So there's different styles of music, uh, but there's all sorts of content as well. There's uh, a couple of chat shows, there's some review shows. And uh, this is where I get to plug not just the station, but the podcast because Christians <laughs> in Our Soup is now also a show on New Sound Christian Radio going out on Fridays at 10 o'clock. So not only can you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts uh, and the podcast itself drops on a Sunday morning, uh, but you can also tune in 10 o'clock on a Friday uh, on a Friday morning and pick up the show there as well on New Sound Christian Radio. Just search at, uh, search that up on uh, social media, on the web, you'll find it fairly easily and fairly straightforward. So that's the kind of week that it's been. I find myself in a strange position at the moment because having only been here for about two and a half weeks, our station manager is taking a well-earned break for the next 10 days. So uh, <laughs> I, I now have the studio to myself for 10 days. Um, he so clearly doesn't know you well enough. It, no, he doesn't. No, this is very true. <laughs> I, I fear for him when he comes back and finds out what I've done to his radio station. 
<laughs> Although he, he will beat me around the head for calling it his radio station as he's very fond and quite rightly of saying this is not his station, it's not my station, but it is the Lord's station. Amen. So uh, I, I'm reminded of my responsibilities, <laughs> although I'm <laughs> going to enjoy the freedom that I have uh, for the next 10 days. So yeah, it's been a great week. But one of the other things that we're looking at doing um, at some point when Ronnie gets back, we have a, a sizable chunk of our listenership is in the US. And it okay. occurred to us uh, through the week that instead of just playing a uh, standard mix of songs overnight, UK time, that there's a possible chance to capture an audience somewhere else in the world by maybe repeating some of the shows between, say, midnight and 7am UK time. Mm. So we're going to work on another part of the schedule, basically, so that folk in other countries have the opportunity to listen to some of the shows at a more sensible time for them, uh, rather than having to get up at silly o'clock in the morning or, you know, overnight or whatever to listen to the shows that go at UK time. Wow. So, yep, we're going to look at doing that and put some of the shows out uh, overnight as well. So that's something else that we'll be working on uh, for overseas listeners. So, yeah, lots to come. Fantastic. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, so, it's, yeah, it's been a good week. It's been a good week. So um, I, I understand from uh, a message we received from your good self that it's been an interesting week for yourself and the Eden Project, though. Ah, oh, it's been an awesome week. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were we had our team day on Tuesday, which we always do. And this week that included uh, getting some photos done and some videoing done um, around the community. Uh, which, I saw the pictures of that. Yeah, Yeah. It, it was it was a great day. Um, but that engaged us with uh, a lot of the community as well uh, in terms of conversations and um, that's been great fun and yeah for anybody that doesn't know Eden, uh, Eden is a um, part of the Message Trust where the Message Trust um, partners with a local church to plant a Christian community into an area of social deprivation and um, for myself uh, I'm heading up that team uh, with my wife uh, Natasha and it's you know we've been going two weeks now and uh, it's been absolutely awesome um, so last night we were out again on the streets with the youngsters and yeah uh, uh, I got really excited last night I mean for, for <laughs> some people good. this may not excite people they may <laughs> go what on earth are these guys doing but uh, we were out we were with some youngsters out on the streets last night and uh, we had one young lad who decided that um, uh, he was going to say that Jesus didn't exist and try and wind us up. And we just showed the love of Christ to him. Amen. Uh, and he followed us around on his bike and he was great. <laughs> and he was saying, oh, you, know, you Bible bashers. And blah, blah, blah. I was like, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'd rather be a Bible basher than anything else. Yep. And it was it was great. And we engaged with him and we said to him, you know, once we can start doing something in the physical yeah, we encourage you to come along and to show us why you believe the Bible isn't true. Yeah. This 11 year old said that he was going to spy on us through the church windows making Bibles, which was an interesting concept. <laughs> I was going to say, I wonder where that's come from. Oh, I know. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so we sit up in the early hours of the, uh, of the morning and into late night and uh, we're writing the Bible. Apparently. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you know, so, yeah, it's been an awesome week. I've really enjoyed it. Um, Fantastic. Uh, I, got home absolutely buzzing last night um from from that so uh, and i've realized that i said last night when this goes out a week on friday then uh, listeners just be aware that this has been recorded a week previous to yes. going out <laughs> yes. i've got to get my head around this one <laughs> yeah i i felt the same it's, it's a strange feeling knowing that the show drops podcast wise on a sunday 
um, but then also goes out the following Friday. So uh, wrapping your brain, wrapping your brain around that um, is, is quite an interesting one. I won't give too yeah. much away um, uh, about what's coming up on uh, New Sound Christian Radio in the next 10 days. But Bramer and I were chatting briefly before we started recording um, about the fact that uh, I was involved in pre-recording a breakfast show um, yesterday. And it was one of the most bizarre feelings I think I've ever known. Uh, at four o'clock in the afternoon, trying to appear bright and breezy and saying good morning everyone as we were pre-recording a breakfast show um, <laughs> that's due to air uh, Monday morning at eight o'clock. Did you have your bacon sandwich to help it be more realistic? You know we, we missed that trick, we oh. missed that trick unfortunately. <laughs> we did have, I have to say, we did have the most incredible brunch uh, earlier that day. Uh, Ronnie loves his cooking, uh, Ronnie's our station manager here and he loves his cooking and he said to me partway through the morning, oh, he said, uh, do you fancy a breakfast roll? And he's done us breakfast rolls on occasions where we've had um, egg, sausage, bacon, mushrooms uh, in a bun and absolutely lovely. And I said, oh, go on. Yeah, if you're gonna, if you're gonna cook, that'd be great. So I said, yeah, okay. And he went off and about five minutes later, he came back and he said, mate, I really fancy a full on English breakfast. Are you up for that? So said, yeah, <laughs> go for it. And bless his heart, he, he really shared well. We had hash browns, sausage, bacon mushroom beans and fried bread wow what a plateful ronnie so grateful to you and carly for sharing what you do uh, with us both um, socially spiritually and, and certainly practically because that was one amazing brunch so we <laughs> did have that sort of late on in the morning but I think next time we pre-record a breakfast show, <laughs> I think yeah, the idea of a uh, the idea of a bun with a couple of slices of bacon and some brown sauce dripping out the side of it might Definitely. might just help to make the uh, the recording yes. a bit more authentic. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Another time. Awesome. Yeah, I'll have to get Ronnie to send one over the uh, the border now that we're yes. in lockdown. Oh, of course. And, uh, yeah. So. Uh, yeah. That would be very much gratefully received. Though we have still been able to go to Cadler Mill uh, oh, okay. for our breakfast, which is good. Uh, for, um, for our listeners, Cadler Mill, that's a local cafe to yourself, yeah? It is. Yeah, it's a local cafe um, in the community that we're living and working. And uh, that's, yeah, it's still going strong, which is great. Um, and uh, quick shout out to them you know, to uh, keep the good work going and yeah, keep this definitely. community running. Um, yeah, for on sure. The, uh, physical food that they do so yeah and i have to say i heartily recommend them having eaten there a couple of times with uh, with you and natasha um, i heartily recommend them they're uh, they're well worth doing and just in case anyone asks no we're not on commission uh, we just <laughs> we just happen to think that they're excellent <laughs> exactly yeah everybody wants to come for a meeting this end for some reason at the moment because they want to try out yeah. Mill. i know <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> anyway thinking yeah. about this week's show indeed so we, Russ and I were, were chatting about what to chat about this week. Yes. Talk, thinking about food, actually, it linked quite well in. It did, didn't it? It was a good segue, that, mate. It was, yeah. <laughs> God, and these things are unscripted. I tell yeah. you, if people saw the script that yeah. we have, we, we yes. are literally just chatting. I'm just going to count the words, one to five, yeah. right, okay. <laughs> and that's our script, yeah. That's about as far as I can count at the moment. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, in, we decided that we would have a chat about past Christians that of yesteryear who we would love to invite around our dinner table. Yeah. So we have selected three people that, you know, that have influenced our lives, not because they were alive in our lifetime, but the fact that uh, 
they were um, yeah they they were pillars of Christianity we believe and and I, I have to say with that in mind I have cheated with one of them yeah I just realized that because <laughs> because when you when when you put the idea across earlier on all you said was yesteryear so one of them certainly was alive during my lifetime <laughs> yes but it's because they're no longer with us and now with the Lord that I want to have them at my dinner table I'll explain that later on sorry yeah and it's not the last one and I won't say who that is so uh <laughs> you're not that old I had to know. bless you brother <laughs> anyway moving on quickly before we get into a whole age thing again I, I have There's to say dear listener we were we were chatting and conversing earlier on and I made reference to Mallet's Mallet and I did just have to do a double check that Bramwell was old enough to remember Mallet's Mallet which oh, he tells yes. me he is so I do remember Mallet's Mallet <laughs> good Sorry, old mate. Timmy that's yeah. <laughs> alright <laughs> So yes, so um, in our schedule, I've got the opportunity to kick this off with the yeah, first person that I'd have around uh, my dinner table. And uh, this person, just to give you a little sort of you know, cliffhanger at the moment until we get to the name, <laughs> he was born in 1829, so way before either of us was alive, <laughs> and died in 1912. And the guy that I'm talking about is William Booth. Okay. Foundation for the Salvation Army. Yeah, for for me, uh, William Booth has had a huge impact in my life without me even knowing it. Because my my parents were brought up Salvationists. My grandparents were uh, both in the Salvation Army. Um, I've never, in theory, been um, a soldier in the Salvation Army, but it's you know, I was taken to Salvation meetings with my grandparents uh, yeah. when I used to stay with them, and. It's more recent that I really realized how William Booth and the foundation of the Salvation Army really has impacted my life. Yeah, he was a, a, a social activist, the, yeah. if we were thinking about coining a phrase for him. But he was a real man of God who kept God at the forefront of, of his life. He had awesome support in his wife, yeah. Catherine, Catherine Booth. And he started out as a, as a Methodist and he was an evangelist. He was working for the Methodists um, and working under the Methodist New uh, Connection organization. But he came to a point, and this is where I really sort of think, oh, wow, if only I'd been alive with William, because uh, he felt restricted by structure within denominational, you know, denominational circles. And so he actually resigned from being an evangelist with the Methodists and uh, went on to be what we call now a self-employed uh, evangelist. Okay. And uh, yeah, he, through thick and thin, he remained faithful to God and really stuck with God. And, and some of you may know of um, yeah, the fact that he wrote uh, what was called In Darkest England and The Way Out, which was, in all sense of purposes, a social manifesto um for for that time in 1890 and focused on london and uh, the east end of london and uh, uh, i mean and so many things from that have come into being yeah yeah he wrote about hostels he wrote about employment centers he wrote about uh, helping young men uh, learn trades and at yeah. that time it was particularly the agricultural trades and uh, yeah he was just uh, is such an inspiration in, in my life. And then when I got involved with the Message Trust, yeah, I found out that he was an inspiration 
to Andy Hawthorne and the setting up of, of the okay. Message Trust as well. And if you walk into the Message HQ in, in Manchester, and this is something I'd love to have on my wall, one of his, or in fact, his last speech that uh, William Booth gave at uh, Easter of yeah. 1912, he said this, and it's this that really has, has stuck with me and I take forward into all the work that uh, we do now. And it, as I say, it's on the wall at the HQ of the Message Trust. And it says, while women weep as they do now, I'll fight. While little children go hungry as they do now, I'll fight. While men go to prison in and out, in and out as they do now, I'll fight. While there is a drunkard left, while there is a poor lost girl under upon the streets, while there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. And that's just remained with me. Yeah. You know, that that uh, yeah that that passage from his final speech um, and as I say you know, he was a real faithful man of God he, he lost his wife literally just before he published in darkest England and the way out three of his children turned away from the Salvation Army uh, for, for various reasons yeah. um, he, he stuck with what he felt God was calling him to do um, yeah. And that did mean that, yeah, as I say, he lost the relationship with, with some of his children. And he even lost one in a, in a tragic uh, train crash. So he, he, he faced uh, all sorts of trials and tribulations, yeah. but yet yeah. he remained faithful. And to say you know, what I've read out, what, to say that towards the yes. end of his life, despite everything, yeah. uh, I, I just find him a real inspiration. So, so yeah, so I would love to have him around the dinner table just to be able to chat with him about how on earth he kept his faith and just kept going and, and how God spoke to him. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, that's my first guest at my dinner table. I, I would love, I have to say, to be a part of that meal and to chat with someone who, uh, you know, just taking that quote alone um, has that drive to go on doing what God has called them to do under the circumstances that you've just explained. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I would love to be able to talk and find out a little bit about just how that works. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome, awesome guy. And so much of you know, things that we've got now, as I said, was, is, is based on what he and what the Salvation Army originated to yes. do. Yes, yeah. you know, bring people out of poverty and you know, have yeah. hostels and employment centres. Well, those are things that came into place. Yeah, um, yeah. And we've got today, and we live with today. So, yeah, um, real inspiration. So, yeah, for sure. What about you, mate? Where's your, your? Who's your first guest? Okay, well, my first dinner guest, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I I had cheated on this uh, just a little because um, my first dinner invitee. Uh, is a gentleman who uh, was alive during my childhood whose influence on my life was such that actually it was under his ministry that I came to faith uh, on July 2nd 1978 it was this gentleman who was actually speaking at a church parade service and he was speaking on the 23rd psalm and he was sharing about the fact that if we allow God into our lives he can fill us to the point that we will overflow um, and that love from inside will overflow to the people around us and it was as uh, this pastor was speaking uh, that uh, I had a recognition that uh, my sister who'd become a Christian a few years earlier at a scripture union camp and my parents who had been Christians for many years had something that I didn't have and 
I knew they had it. I knew that it was right. I knew I needed it. I had no idea what it was and I had no idea how to get it. And I just remember running home at the end of that service and asking my dad to just enable me to help me to pray that prayer of commitment, inviting the Lord into my life. And it was off the back of this message that was brought by uh, the Reverend Norman Green. Now, as I say, for many of the listeners, the name Norman Green won't mean a great deal. Uh, but Norman Green was pastor at Stopsley Baptist Church uh, when I was growing up. And at that time, to me as a young child, cut a somewhat imposing figure. He he was very tall, fairly stocky. Um, and as a child, you sort of walked up to him and, and especially, I mean, I, I am of diminutive stature, dear listener, uh, <laughs> and not much has changed in the last 45 years. So, uh, you know, I, I would have an eyeball to kneecap conversation with Mr. Green, that that because that was about as close as I ever got. He, he was this huge figure. He also had um, a voice which didn't require a microphone, shall we say. Um, mm-hmm. And now there are those who know me that say that I'm in the same position and God bless you for your encouragement. Um, but Norman <laughs> Green could stand at the front of a church that held comfortably between 60 and 100 people. Um, and didn't need a microphone to make himself heard. He had that kind of booming, carrying voice. So you combine that voice with the physical figure that Mr. Green had, and he, he cut a figure which, uh, as a young child, I struggled to have much more than a good morning, Mr. Green, goodbye, Mr. Green kind of conversation with. And yet sat in that service that day, July 2nd, 1978, I can take you to the exact spot in the building where my chair was that day, listening to Norman Green share from the 23rd Psalm. It was it was what God had given him. It was his willingness to bring that message that day that brought me to faith in Christ. I don't remember a great deal about Mr. Green after that. And that's why I would love to have him as a dinner guest, because Mm. as I've grown up, as I've been able to grow in my faith and taken that faith journey um, from a little over 40 years ago, I would love Mr. Green to to be able to come so that I can just share uh, the results of that message that he brought that day, you know, to be able to encourage him um, in in the, the impact that he had on my life that day. He moved on from Stopsley Baptist Church to, I think it's uh, went up to Magal Baptist Church in Liverpool. Um, and mum and dad stayed in touch, but as a child I didn't. Um, so that was very much the adult thing when I was sort of nine, 10, 11, 12 years old. And shortly after that passed away, sadly. But it would just be such a blessing and a privilege um, just to be able to have Norman round the table um, and just to be able to share with him for, for encouragement um, the massive impact that he had on my life um, and the, the fact that he was the catalyst, humanly speaking, for a change for that biggest step in my life. Um, it would just be brilliant to be able to, to share that with him and chat with him. The, the blessing and privilege um, a little while later down the line, a few years later down the line, uh, was that he was able to be present when I was baptised. Uh, which was about five or six years later. Um, and uh, his son was baptised at the same time, so he was going to be there anyway. But it was such a privilege to have uh, the pastor under whose ministry I'd come to faith uh, able to be there at the church when I was then sharing my testimony and how I'd got to the point of being baptised, um, that, that Norman was able to be there. So that was a blessing as well. Uh, but just to be able to say, look, you know, 
this is the result. I'm not saying that to big myself up in any way, shape or form, but simply, you know, he was the catalyst, humanly speaking, for that. Um, yes. And just to share where my life has gone spiritually with him, um, mm. that, that would just be such an honour. Um, and I know people will say, when you get to heaven, you won't recognise and you won't need to recognise, but there's still a part of me that clings on to wanting to meet Norman Green when I get to glory. Um, yes. and, and just being able to sort of shake him by the hand and say, I'm here because you did what the Lord told you to that day. Um, that that would be amazing. So yeah, I I would love to spend some time around wow. the dinner table with Norman Green. Yeah, yeah, and that's a real testimony as well. Is that you? We never know who we're going to influence, um, yeah. or yeah. plant the seeds in. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's it's that's important. In, yes, in yeah, that. But yeah, it sounds like a great guy. And uh, oh, he was he was incredible. Yeah. Thank goodness that uh, you know, he did what he did with you because Amen. Uh, we wouldn't be here today. Well, that's very true. That's very true. <laughs> and I thank God yeah. we are. <laughs> oh, well, bless you, brother. Yeah, it is good. Yeah. It is good. Um, now, I, I've got to say that uh, your second name <laughs> uh, means about as much to me as I'm sure my first name probably meant to you. Tell us a bit about this. Yeah. So um, I've got to admit, when I was trying to put this together and I thought about you know, who would I have around the dinner table um, of yesteryear. I, it was a struggle. Yeah. William Booth came to mind, absolutely no problem. But then after yeah. that, it was like, not because I didn't know anybody, it was literally because so many people, so yes. many people that I'd love to have around the dinner table. But yeah, so my second guest really is, is a guy that uh, I've come to learn more about only, if I'm honest, in the last few months. Okay. And uh, he's a guy that uh, is portrayed in a film called To End All Wards. And that is about uh, basically a prisoner of war camp in yeah. Thailand. And uh, it's, uh, he's a British POW in, um, in this prisoner of war camp. Um, and he's working on the Burma Railway. And his name is Dusty Miller. And okay. Dusty was, um, he was in the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders. And uh, he was a he was a Methodist. Uh, there's a actually I just realised there's a theme here as well. Anyway, yes. Um, <laughs> no, he was a, he was a Methodist, um, and uh, my my grandmother was a Methodist preacher as well. So uh, who knows where that's going to go? Anyway, <laughs> so um, yeah, moving on. Um, Future so, ministry, uh, brother? No, I won't speak into oh, that. <laughs> oh, I'm not even going to go there. I'm not going to go there because. In the last few weeks, someone has been saying something about uh, ordination yeah. again. And uh, so anyway, moving on quickly. Yes. Uh, so yeah, so Dusty, um, uh, he, he's portrayed in this film To End All Wars. And uh, that was inspired by a book called uh, Through the Valley of the Kwai, which is written by Captain Ernest Gordon. And yeah, the reason why Dusty has influenced my life recently is because he is a modern day martyr. And he just, what he did in that prisoner of war camp, um, as I was watching the film and it was portrayed, and in, uh, I'll come to that in a minute, um, was just so inspiring. Basically, he was, he was in this camp, he was incarcerated in this camp for three and a half years. But through that three and a half years, he showed true faith and hope to all the prisoners that were there and basically Ernest Gordon became quite seriously ill uh, whilst he was in the in the prison and um, 
So, and Dusty and a guy called uh, Dintamore as well, who was a Catholic, came together and nursed Ernest, Captain Ernest Gordon, back to health okay. uh, during, during that time. And this then brought Gordon to turn to Christ whilst he was in the prisoner of war camp. And Dusty was, a, you know, in all sense and purposes, it's claimed to be very calm in a crisis. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, I'm sure we all know the, the stories of what it was like to be in a, in a prisoner of war camp um, under the Japanese and the conditions of working on the Burma Railway uh, and on all of that. And yet he maintained this faith yeah. within that time. Uh, which led him to basically the the, the commander of the of the of the camp um, really took a bit of a dislike to to Dusty, right? And he got this opportunity, and I mean, you know, it's amazing how God really did protect Dusty, yeah, um, in all of this because I'm sure as, as a lot of us know, and it's you know, the, the Japanese didn't take any prisoners at the time; they were pretty brutal um, yeah. and didn't follow the Jiva convention at all but there was a, a major uh, in the camp major Campbell who was just head he, he took a real obviously took a dislike to the Japanese and just wanted to escape and you know this camp was in the middle of the jungle there was no hope of anything in terms of escape right but he decided he was going to try and escape and so there was one occasion where he basically did he, he went to escape um, he got a group of other guys together to try and escape uh, from this this prison, and it it didn't happen. Um, he was captured. He was captured along with the others. And to make an example of him and the 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 others that tried to uh, escape with him, they they lined them all up in front of the other prisoners and started to basically execute them one by one. And basically, Dusty went to the commander uh, in the moment as he was as they were executing these prisoners and as he got to major campbell dusty stopped it he moved forward he stopped uh, what was going and he spoke to the the, the the commander of the camp now we have no idea what he said right you know, that's not recorded because it was a one-to-one -one conversation it's not recorded but what happened was then that the the camp commander took dusty and bound him basically um and told major campbell that he could go and so major campbell was spared his life yeah dusty was then this gave the, the japanese commander an opportunity because dusty was then taken and in the film it's portrayed as he was taken slightly outside the camp gates right uh to where there was a cross and mm. in the film he and i think i i think i'm right in saying that yeah in the, in the film it's portrayed as all happening almost in one go but i don't yeah. think that's actually quite how it happened you know th this cross was made and because of dusty's faith the camp commander nailed him to this cross and put uh, this cross up just like jesus yeah um and yeah dusty was impaled to this cross he was nailed to it in his hands in and in his feet and he was crucified oh. he was literally crucified in front of the rest of uh, the camp and so he paid the ultimate sacrifice yeah. and through that yeah. major campbell was able to live and did live 
and he and in the rest of the film and and uh, captain ernest gordon talks about the fact that you know, when the americans were were bombing uh, at the end of the war and uh, they were uh, basically also you know the war came to an end in in japan yeah the 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 japanese literally scarpered um, right. some of them scarpered there was a, a, a situation as well where uh, some Japanese towards the end who'd lost their outpost came all wounded into the camp. Uh, now, the Japanese um, sort of mentality then was you, you give up your life, you don't become a prisoner. Yeah. However, the, the, the camp had been turned, um, or a lot of them had been turned to be Christians. Um, Ernest Gordon, in fact, was running Bible classes in the camp as well. Oh, wow. And um, he he stepped forward and he said no we're going to help these japanese and started to tend to them as well towards the end of the war um but major campbell grabbed the uh the commander of the yeah. camp and actually wanted to execute him he wanted to give back basically i mean revenge for everything yeah. that happened but something stopped him right and and he he didn't do it unfortunately the commander then killed himself because he wasn't going to take prisoner which affected major campbell but the fact that it then transformed his life as well yeah and it was all down to this one guy who just wow. kept faithful and i just love to know how how did he remain faithful under yeah. that extreme um and to the end you know give up his own life for somebody else i mean yeah we, we read it in the Bible. Sure. Yeah, the Bible talks about this, about paying the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah. Jesus paid that for us. But on a human level, we are to be a living sacrifice. We are to you know, lay down our lives. Yeah. Um, and this is a guy that did that. And I just would love to know how, how he did that. You know, clearly he had a love of God and he had a real yes. trust in God and a yeah. faith in God and was obedient to God. But I don't know about you, but you know, for me, to pay that ultimate yeah. price for yeah. somebody that takes something yes um yeah and i just love to sit around the dinner table and learn from him so yes yeah, yeah. what went through his mind when he spoke to the camp commander yeah you know when he stepped out you know presumably knowing what he was going to say or uh, yes. what's implied what he was going to suggest anyway um that's that's just an incredible strength that that yeah few of us i guess experience yes and yet as christians is open and available to us all it, um, yes this you know, is it um, yeah but um, wow so yes a Fantastic. real inspiration to me yes and, indeed um, you know, if if anybody can get a hold it's a good film i mean you to take hollywood license but um to end all wars or to get hold of the book through the valley of the Kwai by ernest gordon okay um, i would really recommend it uh, wonderful yeah so i may well have a look for that uh, yeah it's a good it's good um and uh right so your your second guest my second guest yeah um listeners will have heard my testimony on a couple of occasions uh, through uh, the history of the podcast and um, it's not insignificant that I came to faith whilst wearing Boys Brigade uniform. Um, it was something that my mother had decided that uh, she was going to get me to do. Uh, I was about eight at the time um, and 
Mum is very good at getting people to just try a little bit, and then if you don't like it, you don't have to do any more. Um, and uh, that that was how I was, shall we say, persuaded uh, to to go to Boys Brigade. I decided at eight years old that I knew what was best for my life, and it didn't involve a uniformed youth organisation in any way, shape, or form. Um, so I, I wasn't going to go. But um, I went along on this particular Tuesday evening. Uh, had an absolutely wonderful time, really enjoyed it, made friends quite quickly, um, really enjoyed the activities uh, from, from start to finish of the evening. Um, but I'd already made my mind up that I wasn't going to have enjoyed it. So when I got home that evening, and church was about 150 yards, 200, 200 yards away, uh, give or take from the front door. And I got home that evening and I rang the doorbell and mum came to the door and said, you know, how was it? I said, well, you know, it, it was it was all right. It was OK. You know, um, I, I've done what you've asked me to and, and I'm not really sure that I want to go back. And mum took one look at me and as all mothers do with their children, she took one look at me and said, you really loved it, didn't you? And there wasn't <laughs> a great deal that I could say after that because she was absolutely right. I'd, I'd had a thoroughly good evening. And long story short, I spent about the next uh, nine years, nine, ten years uh, in the brigade, rising through uh, junior section, senior section, company section, and so on and so forth. But it's because of that and the influence that Boys Brigade had on my life, not just because I was in uniform when I came to faith, although that to me is significant. Would I have been in that service uh, listening to Norman Green uh, had I not have been in brigade uniform, possibly. Mum and dad were Christians, um, so the chances are I would have been taken to the service even if I hadn't gone in brigade uniform. It was a parade service, so it was a service that was deemed to be accessible to children. So I might have been there, but I'm more likely to have been there under duress uh, had I not have been in brigade <laughs> uniform. Being in brigade uniform, there was something there to take a pride in, um, mm. you know. Uh, uh, even in the junior section, just to be a part of that. Uh, I, you know, within 12 months, the uniform had come to mean something. And so uh, my, my second person that I'd love to have dinner with is actually the founder of the Boys Brigade, William Alexander Smith. Mm -hmm. um, now, I'm not, dear listener, like Bramwell, a major historian, so I don't know a huge amount about this guy's <laughs> life. Um, <laughs> So I'm not going to regale you with dates and so on and so forth, because that's not my truck. Um, God bless you that it is yours, Bramwell. But the significant thing for me <laughs> is that Smith founded the brigade out of um, the what was then, I believe, the Sea Scouts, um, the movement that became okay. Boy Scouts. Um, and one of the reasons he founded that was because his view was that the Sea Scouts, who had originally started off as very much a church-based organisation, had started to move away from that. And although they maintained some form of church link, they didn't maintain a very strong spiritual link to where they'd started. Um, and William Alexander Smith really felt that very strongly, and he wanted to put that back into the organisation. And so what he did was started the Boys Brigade, and that became an integral part of the church where it was started. And it maintained and does to this day its integral links with the church. It is specifically a Christian uniformed youth organisation. And it's, mm. each company is linked to a church 
directly and specifically. So it is not just a case of turning up at church parade once a month. Now, for those of you who um, are with the scouting movement, please understand I am not having a pop at the scouting movement. They've done some incredible things uh, and they've changed the lives of a lot of people. But for me personally, the Boys Brigade, because of its specific and direct links with the church that each company is linked to, that is yes. one of the organisations, that is one of the influences in my life that kept me on track during my formative years. And I think for me, that's the significant thing. Um, mm -hmm. that uh, it was through my formative years. Now, I did what most teenagers do. I went through that rebellious stage of I'm not doing this anymore. And, you know, I, I became very much a typical teenager. <laughs> I can't believe that of you. <laughs> Can you not? My no. brother. Bless you. <laughs> you don't yeah, any, rebel anytime at all. You want, anytime you want to polish my halo, feel free. Um, <laughs> I know your mother as well, don't forget. Yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah, yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's move on. Um <laughs> But it, it, it was the brigade that, you know, w was one of the things that kept discipline. Uh, and you, you've referenced mum and, and mum and dad, bless them, they were fantastic at that. Uh, they were very good at that. Um, they were also very good at, uh, at, at rescuing me as I, you know, strayed away uh, during those years. But it was the boys brigade that maintained a particular type of structure uh, in my life that maintained a link with church when without that I probably would have walked away and so you know again similar vein I guess to, to Norman Green to have the guy around the dinner table who founded the organization that was significantly responsible for me coming to faith in the first place um, mm. to be able to share that with them and say look you know this did work this has had an effect uh, on my life and numerous others who've come to faith since joining uh, the Boys Brigade. But just to also to kind of hear from him what uh, more detail, I guess, of what he really felt at the time um, when he formed the brigade to, to find out in, in more detail what his thoughts were around that time to kind of bring those thoughts into the present day. Uh, has the brigade moved away from that? I don't know. I have not been a part of the Boys Brigade now for a number of years, but it would be interesting to see also what um, William Alexander Smith feels the brigade is like now. Is it has it stuck to the vision that he had for it initially, or has it moved on? And, and you know, all organisations have to adapt. I, I get that, but you leave behind the original God-given vision at the peril yes. of the organisation and those who are part of it. And Smith had a very particular vision. Uh, that this was going to be a Christian organisation. It was going to teach the boys not just about discipline, not just about physical education, all of which was part of Boys Brigade, but it was also going to have a major impact spiritually uh, and biblically on the lives of the boys that became uh, a part of the organisation. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have a chat with him to, to encourage him, to let him know that I'm one of yeah. goodness knows how many who've come to faith through an organisation that God led him to found. But also just to kind of get an idea of does he, what does he feel about where the brigade is today and how it's mm. changed and adapted. Uh, it would be, uh, be an amazing conversation to have. Yes, yeah, wow. It reminded me, I, I don't know if you know this about me, um, so I was an anchor boy. Oh, really? Yeah, I was an anchor boy with a nice red jumper. Yes. And uh, yeah, I mean, I can't say that I came to faith through through that, but um, I remember, yes, I remember turning up and each week with my red red jumper. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I always wanted to play. 
I always wanted to play in the band, but I never got that far. Yeah, the uh, the boys' brigade that I was with was um, linked with the Baptist Church uh, yep. back in Canterbury, uh-huh. uh, where I was growing up, and um, yeah. So, uh, but then uh, we moved on, um, so I had yeah. to leave, and um, yeah, I never made it through to the to to that. But I always remember going off and doing. Um, oh, I don't remember I was involved, but I used to be. I used to go and watch them take part in uh, various marching competitions yes. and band competitions. Yes. And, yes. Uh, yeah. So, yes. I, I, I have, have interesting memories. memories of the figure marching competitions, particularly yes. um, having got to, to junior section. And uh, I mean, figure marching was basically um, a, a much simplified version of a military drill. Um, yes. But our particular captain uh, used to be in the Royal Navy. And when Mr. R, as he was affectionately known, because um, sometimes we referred to him as JR, but this was the early 1980s, and the, the, the thought of our boys' brigade <laughs> captain being shot and trying to find out who did it wasn't probably the best idea to have related to a captain of the boys' brigade. Um, so we, we often referred to him as Mr. R. Um, when Mr. R barked out an instruction, you listened. And, yes. And if you were talking, you stopped talking. Jay, I knew how to how to bark out an instruction, um, which worked when you were practicing your figure marching and, and mm. getting ready for competitions and stuff like that. Um, but in in uh, a later life, shall we say, uh, some of the senior boys did get their uh, get their own back uh, on our boys' brigade captain at a camp that we'd gone to, and camping was a, an intrinsic part of boys' brigade, and we did that every year. And on this particular occasion. Uh, we'd gone up to a campsite up in the uh, northeast of England and uh, we'd set our tents out along one end of a football, a marked out football field uh, and the marquee was at one end and the captain had recently bought a brand new car and had used that to tow his caravan and that was at the other end of our line of tents and at the end of each day the senior boys used to go into the captain's caravan and would have their debrief and on this particular occasion, one of the senior lads uh, went in and he was, uh, Alan was a couple of years ahead of me. He went in and noticing the captain's car keys on a shelf, just casually lent his arm on the shelf and rested his hands over the car keys. <laughs> and as the meeting closed, Alan scooped up the car keys and left the caravan. Now, I wasn't actually a party to this um, in as much as I didn't get up in the morning and get involved in it. But at about two o'clock that morning, the senior lads, most of the senior lads got up and they walked over to the marquee. They rolled back the marquee walls, collapsed all the tables and chairs inside, got into the captain's car and let the handbrake off and pushed it into the marquee (gasps) and then did the walls of the marquee back up again. But not content with that, They also de-rigged the captain's toilet tent, which was right outside his caravan, (laughs) marched this thing across to the centre spot of the football pitch around which we were camped and re-pitched it. So when Mr. Rodens got up the following morning, not only had his brand new Sierra mysteriously disappeared off the face of the planet, but his toilet tent had mysteriously and miraculously marched 150 yards across the field and re-pitched itself. (laughs) So... Uh, yeah, we, we had a lot of fun with Boys Brigade Camps, um, <laughs> but it's an organisation that I remember with a huge amount of affection. 
Um, you know, I, I, I was privileged to be a part of the 15th Luton um, and their memories that I will carry with me for a very, very long time. Not least of which because, say, it was I was in brigade uniform when I came to faith. Um, mm -hmm. and my journey would have been very, very different uh, had I not have been a part of the Boys Brigade. So um, just the, the opportunity to chat with William Alexander Smith, the man who founded the organisation, um, which was partially responsible for my coming to faith in the first place, that would just be incredible. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. So yeah. So well, I'm, thinking, I'm looking at my list and I'm going. So I've had a social activist. I've had a martyr. <laughs> yes. When I went through this with Natasha, she went, "Oh, this says so much about you." Uh, oh, great. Thanks. Um, so the third person that I would love to uh, have dinner with is a man who, again, actually, I didn't know a lot about until probably the, more the beginning of this year, and. Uh, He's a guy that was, oh, uh, obedience, I think, is, is the key word. Um, so much obedience to God yeah. and was such an intercessor. Uh -huh. And he's a guy that founded the Bible College of Wales. And uh, his name is, is Reese House. Yeah. And uh, obviously, you know, you know that uh, Natasha and I spent uh, the first part of this year at the Bible College of Wales, which is obviously where we found out a lot more about this guy. Indeed. Um, and uh, yeah, Reese House was, if there's anybody that I would love to, uh, you know, that I've learned in terms of a whole journey, there's a book written by a guy called Norman Grubb called Intercessor, yeah. uh, which is Reese House's journey. Um, okay. It's his life story, basically. His level of humbleness and trust in god yeah from the you know he was brought up in a in a christian family and he thought that that was it you know he started his life he was um he was born into a mining family uh in in Brynhamen in wales and he he yeah he just he just wanted to follow god but he was challenged one day as a young man uh, by his cousin when he's um his cousin had said to him, you know, are you born again? And he had no idea what that meant. Right. But uh, he, his cousin said to him, uh, you, know, you know, go away and, and uh, pray about being born again and, and find out what born and all that. And, and he did. And uh, he'd gone, he was in America. Um, he traveled to America. He had a real love for money. Um, he wanted to make money, uh, Reese House. And, um, Whilst in America, he went to a convention and he he, he basically he, he listened to uh, a guy called Morris Rubin, who was a converted Jew. And it was during that time when he was listening to, to Morris uh, basically speaking about his life that Reese started to cry and he had no idea why he was crying at the time. But during that that talk, he he asked Jesus into his life. Yeah, and he then realised what it meant to be born again, and he, I mean, I'd love to know how he felt from that moment because yeah. the Lord really took him on a amazing roller coaster okay. of a life. He he came to a point where you know he realised what it meant to die to self, yeah. um, and that was a big thing in his life, allowing the Holy Spirit to take over his life, um, and there's there's many many stories. Um, of what the Holy Spirit was asking Reese to do, yeah. um, and that comes through the, the book of, of Intercessor. 
but uh, yeah, there are there are some stories that just I you know I come away now and remember um, from from college and to, to be able to spend three months and we spent three months locked down in in Bible College yes. of Wales, yeah. where this guy founded you know he bought the building now that is the Bible College of Wales on nothing he literally had nothing um and he felt the lord say to him to buy this building um he bought one big house beforehand and uh he he did he stepped out in faith and the the testimony of stepping out in faith to buy this uh this building um or this house called doing far um in in swansea yeah it, it is just amazing how the holy spirit met him in that and provided everything for him you know, there were a number of stories even with with this one but also in terms of finances where this guy reese had got a love for money before coming to the lord um in terms of being born again and then he just it, the lord would would say to him about finances and and he'd meet it he didn't have the finances but would meet him in the finances um sometimes even at the last minute you know, there's a story of where he, he goes to to get on the train and he doesn't have the money for the train fare and he knows god's telling him to get on the train so he, he's, he's going and he literally gets the money yeah, as he's coming to the train fare and that is um yeah, i've heard many stories so uh, reese founded the bible college and then his son samuel house took it over uh-huh. um and uh, i've met people that were were there at college under samuel house right and they talk about how they literally were asked to pray for everything uh-huh. um and it, it, again i've shared before about our time at bible college where we were having to pray for food now that wasn't anything that was manufactured that was something yeah. that uh, literally happened because we were locked down but that principle of intercession and praying um for yeah. for basically our basic needs yes um yeah was coming through and it, it, the, the Bible College of Wales has got such a, a such a history, and I think you know the, the biggest thing that stands out for me, apart from all of this, is the fact that you know, Reese was there during the Second World War, and there are many many stories during the, the during the Second World War and, and intercession. Yeah. Um, and they would meet, so the college would meet uh, during the wartime in, and they they call it the Blue Room now. Um, uh-huh. In fact, I think it was called the Blue Room then, if I remember rightly. And um, they would intercede on behalf of the nation, on behalf of uh, you know, all the events that were going on. Yeah. And it, it, it's a testimony of the fact that you know, sometimes you know, we pray and sometimes maybe we want to have the glorification of that or let yeah. people know we're praying for this or we're praying for that. Yeah. Reese yeah. Howes didn't do that. They would intercede during the wartime. Um, they interceded. I mean, awesome stories around Dunkirk. They would yeah. intercede on behalf of what was happening uh, surrounding Dunkirk. And even it was documented at the time um, by Churchill that, that you know, this is no more than a miracle. And yeah. I really believe that it was due to those intercessions um, and there was a national day of prayer as well around Dunkirk, but uh, yeah. you know, Reese Howes and, and the team that were there at the Bible College were just on their knees, face down, praying for the the rescue of the the British Expedition Force from yeah. those beaches. Um, they were interceding during the time of the Battle of Britain, um, mm-hmm. and there's a story of the fact that 
that you know, and he comes from a Luftwaffe um, pilot who yeah. said that they were uh, attacking, um, going to attack and bomb and uh, during the Battle of Britain and, and just this fog came out of nowhere and they couldn't. And yeah, it's stories like that that you hear that you just go, you know, God was really in everything that was happening. And Reese and and the the team at Bible College were just interceding constantly on behalf of of what was going on, and they he didn't shy away. When God told him to pray for Sonny, he prayed for it, mm-hmm. um, and he would pray individually. He would gather the team together. He would pray, and there was a very, very clear. You know, Reese knew very clearly that war wasn't just a physical thing it was a spiritual thing and i mean that comes back to some of the things we were talking about in last week's session about spiritual warfare and and everything and um reese just knew that he had to do it he had to obey god and uh yeah it's it it's awesome i i think he's a real he's an unsung hero um of of those times um and many many other things yeah, he, he had a real heart for, for praying for Israel. And that's, again, part of um, what the Bible College uh, stands for is, is Israel yeah. and uh, the return of the Jews to Israel. Yeah. Um, and he, he, he brought this mandate from the Bible College of Wales, which was every cre- the every creature vision, the every creature yeah. uh, matters. And the, behind that was that the Bible College was to, to to train people to go to all ends of the earth yeah. um, and preach the gospel. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, for, for me, for my time there, I've, I've come out of college and, and things have changed within me that I just, I, even now I look and I go, I don't really know what's, what's happened. Right. But it's happened. And my mind has changed massively. Yeah. Um, because of that time and, and there are many many Bible colleges around the world and I know that and have been in, involved with, with other Bible colleges but just the 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 foundation of, of the Bible College of Wales with Reese House um, there is something about it in terms of intercession yes that yeah. has really changed me mm-hmm. um, and even just you know the, the weekend just gone the Lord was really speaking to me and reminding me what I learnt in that time and it's very easy to to go to go to these things and yeah go to college or to to go to you know, seminars or whatever and then a few weeks down the line we've forgotten everything and we just carry on with life and i you know, the lord was really reminding me of that this weekend just gone of you know remember what you've learned put those don't forget those things don't forget those foundations of um, and I've had to not remodel my life this week, but just recall those things and, yeah. and have the Holy Spirit recall those things. But it was all built on that foundation of, of Reese Howells and intercession. And uh, yeah, I, I think to have him round the table, just to learn again from him about obedience and dying to self. Yeah. Um, that yeah. He, he knew what a living sacrifice was. Yeah. Um, I'd love to know. I yeah. uh, My wife would probably disagree with me at sometimes and say Bremwell, you know, as I said earlier, you know, you've chosen a social activist, you've chosen a martyr, and now you've chosen someone to learn from in terms of obedience. What on earth are you wanting to do next? <laughs> um, and I got no idea. But if I could live the life that these three yeah. have lived and put them yeah. all together, yeah. Um, if there's anything called a perfect Christian, I think all three of them together would make that perfect Christian. Right. Um, yeah. I'm not a perfect Christian. I never will be. 
Um, but I just pray that one day I'm promoted to glory. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I know that you know, a friend of mine always says, I'm going to heaven and no one can stop me. And I just want to yeah. be there. And so, yeah, so that's that's my third one. Um, and uh, yeah, little little plug there for the Bible College and uh, Intercessor. Uh, yeah, if nobody's read that book, get a hold of it. Um, yeah. Because it's it's an awesome book. Um, yeah. And life, life transforming. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So fantastic. Your third one, which I reckon I suddenly realized actually there's a theme running with the with this one because we've had two Methodists and I oh. won't say more than that. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't tweaked that until you said it, but yes, um, that, that is indeed true. Um, it's interesting that one of the things that you said uh, early on uh, was uh, Reese House being challenged as to whether or not he was actually a Christian. And my third dinner guest would be someone who wrote a song uh, a couple of years ago, um, and I'll go into more detail on that, uh, dear listener, uh, in a moment. Um, wrote a song I'm looking at it and going, a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'll tell you now, shall I? <laughs> and it, it was written in the 1700s, uh, 1738 <laughs> to be precise. Um, so even that is just a fraction before my time, I have to say. Um, <laughs> You got me worried then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the song was said to have been written in uh, not quite celebration, but certainly commemoration of its writer coming to faith earlier that year. And it's a song that, to all intents and purposes, tells almost the, the writer's story of their journey. Um, now... I'll tell you what the song is and who it was written by in a moment, but just to put a little bit of context, wider context to, to why I've gone down this line and why this particular person. I, all age jokes aside, grew up in an era where, <laughs> I knew you wouldn't be able to resist laughing at that point. Um, I, I grew up in an era where, uh, and again, I think we've shared this before, worship was changing. And by worship, I'm talking about sung worship in church. Mm -hmm. um, song worship in church was changing and changing quite significantly we were moving from things like redemption hymn or the baptist hymn book the methodist hymn book these were gradually disappearing and being replaced by such music books as fresh sounds sounds of living waters um eventually mission praise uh, chorus books were coming out i mean i remember an era at stopsley baptist church um which was the church that i grew up in i mentioned earlier on where uh, we would have a relatively traditional sunday evening service and then when most of the congregants had gone home about a dozen or 15 of us would gather some chairs at the front of the church uh, in a circle and we'd break out the chorus books and we'd sing <laughs> the new songs. And yes, I'm doing the rabbit ears again. Um, you know, and, and because we were feeling extra spiritual and, and the organist had gone home, somebody took out a guitar. And, and you know, if you were feeling extra wow. spiritual, we even had a couple of tambourines that Ooh. came out at this time. And, and, and so worship, some worship was changing. And it was changing quite dramatically. But because I'd grown up in an era where I'd learned a lot of the what would now be considered traditional hymns um, mm. I'd learned by memory because up until the late 70s early 80s that was all you sang 
And I developed a deep, deep-seated love for these more traditional older hymns. What helped with that was the fact that Dad used to sing in the Malboys Praise Choir movement. And as a very young child, I used to go with Dad uh, to some of the concerts that the choir would uh, would, would perform. And they, the, the vast majority of the songs that they sang were of the more traditional hymn style. So I grew up with a real deep-seated love uh, of these older hymns. And so coming back to my, my third dinner guest, um, it would have to be Charles Wesley. I did a, a little bit of research on Wesley, nothing massively in depth, but I was staggered to discover, I knew he was a prolific hymn writer, uh, but the figure is around about six and a half thousand hymns um, mm-hmm. that were written by Charles Wesley, which I will absolutely admit astonished me. But the standout one for me is And Can It Be? And And Can It Be has long been uh, my all-time favourite worship song uh, of of yesteryear and current times. Um, I love it because practically uh, it's got an incredible tune and it's one that I can sing reasonably well. I don't have a particularly good voice, (laughs) but I can really let go with this one. I disagree. Uh, Well, bless you, brother. Thank you for your encouragement. (laughs) I know what your wife says as well, but I disagree. You obviously haven't stood right next to me (laughs) when we sang. Um, (laughs) But um, the other thing as well that, as I said a moment ago, Dad used to sing in the Malboys Praise Choir and he sang second bass. So, uh, and for those of you who don't know, uh, and can it be repeats the last couple of lines in every verse. And there is a bass part to that, which having stood next to my father on a number of years, um, who also has a singing voice that carries well, and I'll leave that one there. um, (laughs) My mum and I became fairly proficient at some of the bass harmonies of various hymns. um, Mm -hmm. And this was one of them. So it just means that, that you know, I can really relax and enjoy it. Um, I've sung it so many times that I know it backwards. And in fact, I remember uh, we sang this actually uh, at Gower New Life um, a couple of years back. And mm-hmm. because I know it so well, uh, I was just able to close my eyes and, and just really let go. And one of the ladies who was there that morning, she came straight up to me afterwards and said, do you actually know that? I said, yeah. <laughs> she said, I couldn't believe it. She said, I looked across and you've got your eyes closed and your arms raised. She said, and you never missed a word. And no, because I've sung it so many times. I love it so much. It, it's, it is, uh, Wesley said, uh, has been quoted as saying that it's kind of the story of his coming to faith. It starts with a question. How on earth can this God love me? It moves mm. on to grace it moves on to dealing with the sin in our lives and it wraps up with that incredible sense of victory bold i approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through christ my own and i just would love to sit around the dinner table with wesley and just hear his own recount of how that hymn came about and just hear his version of the story we've got various written versions obviously but just to sit with the man who wrote that um, and uh, another six and a half thousand hymns as well um, and just to talk through with what his inspiration was uh, about that song and to hear his own testimony of that journey you know it's one thing to to be able to sing it in uh, in the words that he wrote of and can it be but to actually hear the man talk about it um, to, to have that inspiration to take away with you someone whose life was so affected and yet recognized every step you know 
How am I worthy? I am worthy by grace. God has dealt with my sin and now I can boldly approach the throne. Um, you know, there's yes. a guy who in five or six verses has gone on an incredible journey of faith um, and has passed that journey of faith on for others to enjoy. Um, mm. and I just think it would be awesome to have that guy around the dinner table and just, you know, talk to him about that and other hymns that he's written as well. Yes. Um, real inspiration. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's uh, for me, that's a, it's a hymn that I really hold dear as well, because the, the full first that talks about uh, being imprisoned. Yes. And talks yeah. about um, I woke in the dungeon flame with light. My chains yeah. fell off. My heart was free. It's a verse that I sang uh, many, many years ago. I'll say many, many years ago. Um, Not as many when, as me. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you weren't supposed to agree with that That's, quite so readily, uh, no, actually. <laughs> <laughs> when, um, when I was going through my, my difficult time, as I've talked about before, but um, uh, I was falsely accused and uh, I was in a holding cell. Yeah. Um, and whilst I was in that holding cell, the Lord really spoke to me and what I had a picture of uh, Paul and Cyrus yes. uh, in prison and just worshipping. And that's what I did. Now, how I did it, I have no idea. Um, but this was a hymn that I knew word for word and I yeah. was singing it. Um, there were a few other, you know, Amazing Grace was another one that I yeah. was singing. But yeah, it, it just, it held me together yes. um, yeah. during that time. And I have to admit, I cannot sing this hymn without crying right um yeah you know, it, the, the words are amazing yes um yeah. and uh you know, it just in the physical for me in that moment but in the spiritual as well you know, yeah. that our chains do yes. fall off yeah um and as you said yeah there's no condemnation and yeah, boldly absolutely. coming towards the throne yeah you know, that's what we're meant to do it's yes. uh it's an yeah. awesome awesome hymn um and definitely uh, long may it lay, lay, stay with us yes um, so yeah for sure so, yes well fantastic indeed yeah so i think you've got a an, an update for us as well in terms of where we're going with yes. the podcast um as as you'll recall um christians in our soup um has come about predominantly because uh, we were looking at inviting folk to come on to the show um and just talk to them about their uh, their conversion experience their journeys of faith the ministries that they're involved in um, and over the last week i've been able to send out some emails to one or two folk i'm not at this stage going to mention any names just in case anything does change um mm -hmm. but we have uh, two confirmed uh, interviews coming up god willing uh, one at the end of october uh, and one uh, hopefully in early December, uh, waiting for another three to come back. Um, one of whom has said, yes, for sure, they're up for it. They just need to sort out dates. Uh, another of whom has gone away to say, yep, they're going to pray about that and, and let us know. Um, and a third of whom I'm just waiting to hear back from. So, um, yeah, it's fantastic. We're, we're just starting to get some responses from folk that we're going to invite on to the show. We'll talk to them about their journey of faith, their conversion experience, their current ministries. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be great to uh, just to be able to expand the show a little bit uh, as folk come on. Uh, and join us to, to talk about their own Great. journey of faith. So starting to get exciting. Um, it is. This was kind of where yes. Christians in our soup was going to be heading. Um, yep. So, uh, and, and loving doing what we're doing now. It's fantastic. Uh, but great to see that the uh, the midterm vision for the for the podcast, if you like, is just now starting to show a green shoot. Um, so, yeah, yes. starting to get excited about folk coming back. And, it uh, is. Wanting to be a part yeah, of the show. So, yeah. 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 Yep. 
and it won't be two old men rambling anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> one, one old man and you. <laughs> oh, you're too kind, brother. <laughs> but actually, given given by your own admission that you remember Mallet's Mallet, I think we can say two old men now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think my wife would agree as well. So, that's part of the reason why I've ended up trying to get back into fitness. Um, oh, really? Because with a, with, a, with a boy on the way, yes. um, I realised that uh, pushing 40, <laughs> I might struggle to keep up with him. So, um, yes. <laughs> Lord, give me strength. Yes, um, in, in every way, yeah. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. So, um, yeah, it's been great. I've in, I fully enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, it's been great to just chat and share yeah, who we'd have sure. around the dinner table. Indeed. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, as, as we were doing it, I, was reminded, I, I thought, yeah, I wonder who other people would have around their dinner table. So I'm going to be bold enough to say, you know, if any listeners um, want to share uh, yes. with, with us in terms of who would you have around your dinner table? Um, then please drop us an email. Uh, yep. Rush, you're going to have to remind me of the email. <laughs> Christians in our soup. That's all one word. Christians in our soup at hotmail.com. Thank you. But um, also you've got the Facebook page, the Facebook yes. group. Tweet us at uh, COIS2020, uh, at COIS2020. Um, and we're on Instagram as well. Um, so, uh, yeah. What a great idea. Who would you have around the dinner table? Yeah, yeah. It just suddenly came onto me. So I've, I've jumped that one in again. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> we love that. That's what it's so, about. So, um, but yes. Yeah, great. So, yeah. So, you know, thanks for listening. And as Russ has said, you know, we've got the social media. So just search Christians in our soup. Um, and we're on Apple Podcasts as well as numerous other podcast platforms. But now, for now, you know, we can just say that, uh, oh, also, I forgot, and, yeah, you can tell I'm unrehearsed with this part of it. Um, you can hear us, and Russ did mention it earlier on, you can hear us on New Sound Christian Radio every Friday at 10 a.m. Yep. Um, please do subscribe and share with all your friends, family, and churches. But until next week, it's good, not a good night. I've done it again. I did that last week. <laughs> what was that about being unrehearsed? Oh, yes. <laughs> It's goodbye from me, Brumwell. And it's goodbye from me, Russ. <laughs>